pull up in sight. How high? Bring that shit back, bitch, I'm stylish. Got to big t-shirt, Billy Ice. Watch on my wrist, but I want that dice. Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, and a bunch of others have signed an open letter to basically pause AI. Now, most of you know about this. There's 2,991 signatures, including Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, and a bunch of other very notable people. Actually, there's some that aren't even notable in tech, in my opinion. But uh, nonetheless, there's a lot of uh, high-level tech people. We'll put this article below. I've talked to a lot of people about this article, uh, or about this open letter. And honestly, it seems like the research is there to support that there is definitely a lot of threats that we're not prepared to handle with the advancement of AI. Uh, a lot of things that can be taken advantage of. Will AI be paused? Probably not. So we just got to be aware of like, okay, if there are threats and the rest of humanity doesn't want to pause AI, well, we should probably just try to think about those threats. And that's what we'll do on this channel. Now, ChatGPT4 on the other side of this just had a uh, wait list for the new plugins. So if you didn't know, ChatGPT4 doesn't directly go online, but these new plugins allow you to go online. So you can go to the waitlist on OpenAI for the ChatGPT plugins. There's, I think, three or four plugins that all have different features. This would allow you to make a data set out of something like a bunch of YouTube videos, potentially, right? And if I have 700 videos, maybe I can make a book, right? It really has me thinking about the future of AI, though. Because for me, I could almost see like a payment system inside of ChatGPT where if I wanted to go do a bunch of things for me and it requires some funds, maybe I don't want to have to like, you know, pay on the website directly to sign up for some subscription to use something. So that way ChatGPT can basically use like uh, another AI if it wants to, right? This is what Elon's kind of talking about, right? I think what we give ChatGPT, let's say it needs $1,000 to do five different, you know, payments, um, to complete a process, whether it's publishing a book that it just wrote for me or something of that nature. If I gave it the funds upfront inside of a wallet, whether it's fiat or crypto, because we do, we do cover Web3, we're trying to figure out what's going on with Web3. Obviously, the next happening is kind of approaching. We have uh, sort of the, if you look side by side, I think the spring of uh, 2025, all the past happenings sort of have a little bit of a difference in how many months before the top are uh, sort of talking about. I've heard a lot of similar things. I'm thinking that the next sort of bull market will start 2024, but obviously the happening kicks it off. And then the top, you know, is what we're talking about. So Web3 is interesting. If there's a payment system inside ChatGPT, it would be interesting if there was crypto associated with that. Now, that being said, the infrastructure for all of this is like four ChatGPT versions away, in my opinion, or two, maybe two. Maybe ChatGPT 6 will have a wallet feature so we can give it funds to spend for us if we want. Um, the plugins is a big step, so definitely get on this wait list. Now, I'm very careful about putting links and stuff inside of descriptions, so I suggest you do your own research and find the ChatGPT plugins wait list. It's actually not very hard. This is the URL. Uh, nonetheless, the Ave Society is the largest NFT. So now we're talking about NFTs project on Cardano. 
they played a funny April Fool's joke to some. Some didn't think it was so funny. It's pasta time. Dude, I got to just say, though, like, uh, this looks so good. I love Rigatoni. It's Regret Tony because they're basically, this is the uh, biggest market cap project on Cardano. They gave a lot of these out to people that sold under the mint price because it's Regret Tony, right? It's just a little April Fool's joke. But look how good this looks. I don't know. Whenever I look at this, I'm just like, damn, if I ever meet these guys, I hope that they have a pasta banquet because this looks like they have some culinary expertise, in my opinion. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know if the rigatoni is even cooked. That's the other part. But whatever the case, it looks really like they have some culinary background. Everyone's talking about this. I'm more focused on this, though. All right. So let me explain why this is the real story for the biggest NFT project on Cardano. Uh, by market cap. All right, so I know we switched gears pretty heavily there, but let's talk about this merch launch. Artists and craftsmen will be able to working toward will be able to start working towards the poker deck this Tuesday. Doesn't seem like a big deal. A bunch of apes on playing cards, but I'll tell you why I think it's very important. So essentially, uh, if you didn't know, the Ape Society project has uh, 10k like many or actually I don't think it's 10 I don't know if it's 10k actually I think it's less than 10k but whatever however many apes there are there's only so many and uh it might be 7k if I'm remembering correctly let me go check real quick yeah so there's only 7,000 apes but each ape has like a family so don't worry I know that most people are done with the whole art and stuff if you're you've never seen this project don't worry let me get get to the point here okay so there's different families, but then the more important part is classes, you see, because classes have such a big price difference. You know, if you go to the nobles, the floor of, of an ape is 115K. And then if you go to the royals, it's 30K. And then the military officers, it's 11K. Merchants, 8K. Explorers, pretty close to the floor. Artists, 7, uh, uh, 54.99. So hopefully the other floor prices were correct because I was scrolled down here a little bit. Let's just double check. So we got, because I don't want to add hype to anything. Um, though I do own one of these and I am a big fan and I'm not afraid to admit it. Uh, okay, so basically the only reason why I'm saying that they have classes is because craftsmen get to create what's called an art kit. Artists then get to create the cards. So like, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because... That's not really the important part. The important part is what effect this will have. So obviously, combine the three essential components, ink, cards, and a box to craft your own varied poker deck. The deck can then be burned, giving the holder the eligibility to order physical merch. Pay attention. Any person can create the NFT by acquiring the parts from the market. However, the supply is limited to 500 decks. The process ends after the 500 NFTs have been burned. Artists can start building each part from launch, but in order to claim their masterpiece, they will need to burn an art kit crafted by a hardworking craftsman. Note that military officers will be on the lookout for artist parts. Okay. As mentioned before, frame levels will have an impact on how fast artists work. So the higher the frame, yada, yada. Here's why I think it's interesting, because there's only 52 cards in the deck. So the apes that are in the deck, I think, will have an IP value moving forward. Now, there's uh, a moment here where the Ape Society is the top NFT project by market cap, floor price, whatever. However, you know, if they remain that way for a while, 
right? And I know that they want to build out sort of like a DeFi ecosystem. So that will bring us to the next update, which will be about my theory. Now, I don't know if this is the case at all, but I think one of the next landmarks for the Ape Society. Now, if you're new to the channel, I apologize, but you know, the Ape Society will have 11 landmarks still. And I think some of those will be utilizing Hydra technology. Uh, I could be completely wrong on that, but that's my best guess. I haven't gotten a confirmation from any of the founders. Maybe I, I, I've been trying to, you know, ask, but I don't know, you know, because like they're so busy. I probably have sent a bunch of messages to the founders recently, and usually they're really good at getting back. But just recently, I can see that there's they got a lot of things going on because they do stagger when they get back. And uh, I know that they have a lot of shit going on behind the scenes that they're working on. They're trying to build out kind of like this DeFi ecosystem. You know, there's a bunch of different programs that they have to send people to Plutus Pioneers to become developers, come back for the Ape Society, kind of get that real world experience with the Web3 project. And then they also have a sort of like a, a, they had this kind of interesting thing called like the amphitheater. And uh, a few people have donated I think up to $90,000 there. And now people can like do graphic design for the Ape Society, do small jobs for the Ape Society and get like rewarded, right? So there's a bunch of cool stuff there that stimulates it. But I think the IP of whatever cards are in here, which man, whoever has an ape that is one of these 52 apes, I don't know, rocket emoji, right? I mean, like, it's just going to be an IP thing for me, you know? And that's why I got into this project because they give the IP to the holders. There's a guy that actually builds, uh, if you know what an NFC chip is, NFT technology has evolved a lot in the last couple of years, or even since the last bull market, a lot of people haven't seen, but the physical with the digital is evolved a ton. And there's this guy that's actually going to be linking uh, these big giant ape portraits that he makes, right? And they're beautiful. And they're framed and they're huge, right? I might even get one, honestly, uh, <laughs> just because I like the, uh, you know, I like the whole IP angle. If you can use the IP, build something with it. It's interesting to me. A lot of projects have tried it and they fail. What's good about this project, in my opinion, is a lot of people have that same mindset and it's attracted that same kind of investor slash business kind of person. There's a lot, of, I'd say the Ape Society is probably an older uh probably like an older community too. Uh, a lot of the guys in the society are a little bit older, a little bit more established. There's some young folks too, of course, but I think uh, it's one of the more matured communities, believe it or not. Now, nonetheless, that's interesting, but check this update on Cardano's Hydra. All right, so this is Colin. Now, he's the guy that you want to reach out to if you're a project looking to uh, sort of tell your use case of Hydra, how you're going to use it, how you're using it. And then, you know, tell him, let him know that you want to use it or are using it. He's the guy. He's the best guy. Now, what's really interesting is this was uh, covered back in the day where if you look at it, it's just sort of a little bit. Now, if you're new to crypto and you're new to these kind of ideas, this is probably tough to understand. <clears throat> what's sort of happening here, though, is on chain, on a different blockchains, let's just say, right? They have different degrees of like, uh, you know, scalability, security, decentralization, uh, functionality. Cardano was planning to do the whole layer two thing a lot differently than other blockchains, where they make the 
first layer incredibly secure, incredibly deterministic, and they did. But the and, and Ouroboros was one of the industry's great findings for staking protocols, 100%. The trade-off, though, is there's actually, like, in ways, just a lot less flexibility than on something like uh, Ethereum, right? Or an EVM, you know, chain, right? Maybe less secure, a lot less secure, way more hacks going on. You might sign a transaction, not even know that you're signing over your whole wallet. That's what happens on those blockchains, but they can be very flexible, you know, and you can do some really interesting stuff. Hydra is kind of like our way to do that while still keeping the layer one secure, in my opinion, because it not only will allow us to take, uh, you know, let's just say NFTs or fungible tokens and put them in a Hydra head where nothing has to actually be documented on chain. So you don't have to have a transaction every time something happens. It's more like, yo, all the transactions will kind of happen. And then when you want to close your head and get back your assets in that head, that's when it'll be recorded on chain. A lot of marketplaces wanted to use Hydra like in the beginning because it just makes sense to offload things and then bring them back on chain, not having to do a lot of stuff you know, on chain uh, all the time. But here's the thing. Hydra is also just like a nuance to where our assets are. So we could see like, uh, I know IOHK has put this out there. They want to make a block explorer for Hydra and they're making one. They have one and it's being developed and worked on. And the API will then be released to other, you know, block explorer viewers. So now we'll be able to view our assets on Cardano, whether they're NFTs or fungible tokens, whether they're in a yield farm somewhere or whether they're in a Hydra head. So this whole new dimension is pretty interesting. It's going to be what I think allows a lot of business to happen because it's just uh, malnourishing the industry to have such a sort of um, uh, a barrier with doing having to do everything on chain. You know, being able to do Hydra will create a ton of flexibility for both NFTs and fungible tokens. What we need to see though, and I'm going to caution people because it's still very early, we need to see how this progresses over time. This is just a new functionality on Cardano. We don't know if it will create incredible, successful executions, but it is a new way to do things while keeping the layer one very secure, mind you, and the Hydra is secure. Uh, there's this, you know, really cool guy that I've taught. He's helped me out before. He's given me a lot of good advice, actually. He's a developer. He's a manual, and he's kind of famous in Cardano. Um Late night shenanigans, though, was what he was up to last night or a few nights ago, uh, testing out micro payments on Cardano with Hydra for payments by Obsidian LLC. So there's people already testing this stuff. So I, I this is why, again, I think if the if society is sort of, you know, this was one of the uh, earliest projects. Sorry to show the. I know that's, you know, maybe triggers some people. So I, I don't want to do that because I do not. I, I don't care if you don't like the society. I still freaking, you know, I'm sure that whatever you're rooting for, I'm also kind of rooting for in this space, you know. But, um, dude, if they're developing a DeFi ecosystem, then how can they not be using Hydra when it just got released? I bet they are. I mean, that's my guess. But I could be completely wrong, so we'll have to see. But I could be completely wrong, so we'll have to see. Pavia, however, did release a uh, a big map update, right? So we can migrate over. Now we can see all of our listings. Um, 
not our listings, our lands, eventually our listings, right? Which is great. I really uh, am a huge fan of this metaverse project. Pavia is like a metaverse project, but you know they have a bit more, I would say, finesse than some of the first generations like Sandbox and Decentraland. And they got uh, they hired a guy from Apex Legends who ran the kind of scaling uh, of Apex Legends when it launched. And he's kind of a legend in I mean, he's a legend in Unity. Uh, he's a legend in the gaming space. And his name is Paul Manuel. Okay, he's the COO. We've had him on a Twitter space before. The big difference between Pavia and something like Decentraland is they're going to have like amazing builder tool, like an amazing builder tool. Uh, it's going to not only be integrated with procedural generation, which is what the whole map is made of, but smart objects too, which we've covered on the channel. Recently, though, being a Cardano metaverse project using uh, the Cardano blockchain for many reasons, they decided to do MetaMask wallet linking. So now people with MetaMask wallets, because Cardano just added support. If you don't know why MetaMask previously didn't have a dropdown for Cardano, it was because uh, MetaMask, which is compatible with a ton of blockchains, usually what they did at first, at least, is they went compliant with all the blockchains that have the same elliptic curve as Ethereum and Bitcoin. Cardano does not have the same elliptic curve. We added support for the elliptic curve that Ethereum and Bitcoin use, right? But we actually started with a new elliptic curve or a different one, I should say. Um, so that being said, MetaMask linking, now people can buy Pavia parcels with a MetaMask wallet. This is the kind of things that I don't think people are really expecting. And it's kind of leading up to this next bull market where like, there's just like so many, uh, sort of like dams in web three to get from ecosystem to ecosystem. They are slowly being knocked down. I do think it will take time to discover what the true winners are. And um, this isn't really like an investment advice channel. I'm not a financial advisor, but I do think that I would watch this metaverse project because they're about to go live with something very big. So I would just say, just watch it. You know, if you're not a big fan of, of uh, metaverses or whatnot, just watch it because what they're about to do is kind of cool. They are not trying to be the big, they're not trying to be the metaverse. They're trying to be a space inside of the, inside of it. And uh Really, what it's about is supporting the builders and giving them everything they need to make really cool stuff and uh, create content, you know, even content tools, things like that. But what they're about to do is go live with something called the playground. The playground will be like sort of um, this, like their little kind of like play area or sandbox to develop new things and release new tools, except it will be live 24-7 and we'll be able to go in there and see them building, but also anybody in the playground, which will be a hundred plots, will be able to use the builder tool, will be able to use the plots, will be able to build on the playground as if they own the land. So now you have a place where you can experience all the tools that they're building and see them and give them feedback. This is actually before the entire metaverse persistent land goes live. And as you can see, there's a lot of uh, estates where people already have had, you know, their profile picture. Most of the... Um, uh, like parcels without that just don't aren't owned by the same people. You need, I think, nine parcels to make an estate. Um, I have some parcels that are in estates, but you know, I do have uh, this place, which you know, 
this is going to be my little thing. You know, I'm not saying you guys should buy around here. We should, this is like the worst place probably to buy. Like, don't do it. You know, I'm just, I, I wanted to do it because I wanted to have a place. So that way we could, you know, hang out if it becomes really interesting. So like I called it uh, the innovation zone, you know, so maybe we can hang out there. But I do think um, it'll be cool because I want it to be, um, I'm not gonna be able to build it all myself, I imagine. I think like there will be tools that I use and build stuff, but I think there'll be a, a bit of a community thing. You know, we I'm friends with a lot of 3D modelers, people of that nature. So I think we can kind of build it together and bring everybody else with us. That's my plan, but it's just not ready yet. You know, I want to see the playground first and Pavi is not live. When Pavia goes live, then we'll discuss, you know, this, I guess, but I should change my space bud to the new space bud from wormhole. We're now pushing the new Pavia map off and updates. When logging back in for the first time, you will need to click forget password or old password. Enter your previously used email address and set pat set a password to migrate your old account info over you may need to check your email junk folder <clears throat> check it please mine came in the junk folder junk not your other two that show up there but you got to go to the junk um more map info next week and our team will be on hand to answer any questions and fix any bugs let's freaking go uh, really interesting stuff from Pavia. The one thing that I could see them doing though, and I'm not sure if they've thought about it, but if they do this, then I think it's interesting from a regulatory perspective because the CEO of Morgan has, um, a legal background. He's guiding the ship in the right direction. You know, they didn't do a token sale for the, uh, fungible tokens. They basically airdrop them to every plot holder. They aren't doing any staking. They, from a regulatory perspective, all the things that I've heard from different people that could be regulatory roadblocks, uh, Pavia is really avoiding. And I think that's because Morgan has access to members of parliament that he's actually educating on crypto in the UK. So he's got this legal background, you know, he's staying up to date with regulations where the project is based. And that makes me feel great in this space because, you know, after seeing, um, Obviously, NBA, Top Shot, ApeCoin, you know, Uniswap, all these different, you know, lawsuits. You cannot be careful enough as a project in this space. And I'm sure there's projects that I even hold, you know, that probably will be like had like slapped a regulatory thing. So I don't know what those are, or what those will be yet. None of us do. That's why we're kind of waiting. And we're in like this space that's like regulations coming in. We know it is. We know that it's coming and it's coming from the US first and foremost, um, which is interesting. So maybe your boy Jay will have to move from the US eventually if I want to continue YouTubing in crypto even. But why I'm not worried about that and why I think it might be good is actually this this kind of next update here so why don't we go to the next update which is this guy you guys should follow so he's uh one of my best follows on tiktok so follow him he's the man and he does these sort of updates and he's a lawyer right or he's in law and this one was great because binance is is sort of in this really interesting position uh which is going in a direction that the financial law in the US is not compatible with. And therefore, we're watching other spaces in the world say, well, we can make our financial law compatible with these new industries. Enter the UAE. 
enter this guy. DFTC going after Binance, the most dominant crypto exchange in the world, means that eyes should be turned into the Middle East. I'm a regulatory lawyer that also runs a crypto consultancy, so here's the insight. The CFTC has charged Binance with basically three things. First, it processed some transactions that it should have stopped under a more stringent KYC AML program. Two, it offered derivative trading to U.S. retail investors from 2018 to 2022. And three, it allowed eligible contract participants, which is basically just wealthy investors and institutions, the ability to trade derivatives outside of direct CFTC supervision. There's no theft of funds. There's no big FTX style blow up. Binance is actually a really reputable and reliable company. U.S. regulators just do not like U.S. persons or entities conducting any financial transactions at all outside of their direct supervision. So why doesn't Binance just come in and register and become compliant? Because the products and services that Binance offers are fundamentally incompatible with U.S. financial law. Binance isn't willing to compromise on its business and U.S. regulators with the New York Stock Exchange all of Wall Street to consider, they're not willing to change the whole legal system just for this little industry. But other countries are becoming more willing. Here's the Burj Khalifa completely lit up after Binance was granted another license from the Dubai Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority. And yes, Dubai does have a regulator for specifically crypto. The CFTC is going after Binance, the SEC is going after Coinbase, and other countries are like, uh, this might be our opportunity to be the ex-US financial hub for the rest of the century. But it's not just the Middle East. Other countries are starting to notice now too. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch and I hope you do too. Thanks for watching. Okay, so I don't post anything on my, I don't really post anything on social media. Uh, so I had no reason to flex. But dude, I went to Dubai to really do a, I don't know, in-person study of a metaverse company called Virtua. And they were awesome to me. Like they were so freaking awesome. I got to go inside. I got to ask a bunch of questions to everybody that was working there. And I peppered them with everything I could really think of for a week. And I got to do some content and use their studio and whatnot. That's all beside the point. We talked about this. It was back last year in November. Okay. This was, uh, you know, just when I was at the... Um, uh, Williams Racing F1 in Abu Dhabi, right? So this was the CEO, all that good stuff. But the real story here is around the UAE because one of the organizations that I got to meet was um, uh, the Crypto Oasis, right? Now, uh, they were wicked cool, the guys from the Crypto Oasis. But I was at this, like in Dubai, I was at this uh, huge, huge building. And uh, it wasn't the the uh the the Burj Khalifa it was um in the financial district and the Algorand Foundation was hosting this event and the CEO of Virtua invited me to go to this kind of networking event I learned so much about the Web3 industry at that event because what I realized back then was what this guy the the, tick, the guy on TikTok that I just played said back uh like today which is the UAE at that Algorand Foundation meeting. Even the guy, the marketing guys from Algram, the global marketing director was there and uh, they kind of sponsored that. The Crypto Oasis was there, which is like, it's really interesting because the UAE, you know, and Dubai is very young, a young country. It's kind of like they see an opportunity here. In my opinion, I think that they're building out cities because they have land and if they can make sustainable cities, people can live in. The UAE obviously is not the United States, China, or Russia, but they could be an up and coming like 
sort of player in all this in the broader sense, not even just in crypto, because of crypto, because of blockchain, because of AI, because of regulation purposes. You see, the US is in a sort of bad position to just say, hey, move fast, break things, let's have innovation. There's systemic threats worldwide that can occur because if you're in the US, you know that you know our currency is being used in a lot of different countries. Uh, the UAE, however, is much more bullish in terms of moving fast and getting a regulatory framework that makes sense and adopting it instead of like just trying to keep the old financial framework and say that crypto has to apply to it somehow when obviously it's a new technology that can't. And that was the purpose of that meeting at the Algorand Foundation is they all, I was just like this, I, you know, I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I'm from Cardano. I cover uh, Cardano. And there was like these VCs and there was like these, you know, projects and, you know, you got to meet a few of them and it was really cool. I was just kind of like, you know, feeling it out. But the main message of that meeting was they want to attract entrepreneurs from, you know, all over from the US, from, you know, uh, Europe, from Asia, and they want them to come to the UAE to set up their business. They 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 want to invest in Web3 infrastructure and businesses. Uh, what was surprising there, obviously, that I'll say is not many people knew about Cardano, especially the VCs, but I wanted to put this in there. Okay, so now that you saw that, it's kind of interesting because my theory on the regulatory front for uh, why maybe would suck if business gets pushed offshore from the U.S., crypto, but wouldn't be like the worst thing in the world is because I actually care about society. Now, society isn't uh, the ape society. I'm talking about the society at large. And I think if you think about it, this is what I think could happen, right? We're in a interesting place where banks are starting to show their ugly side. There is a systemic threat. There's a lot of people that don't know anything about crypto and they probably shouldn't. They're just trying to get by. If business gets pushed offshore and the industry can develop in other places for a while, the infrastructure will be there to be useful to overlay on society at large, especially in the US. I don't think the industry uh, has created the infrastructure to actually overlay into the United States with crypto in a way that would not cause a lot of businesses to make huge, massive blunders if they integrate with crypto or put systemic pressure on the banking system, which I know what you're saying. Oh, well, that's good if you own crypto because everybody, if, if all the banks fail, which they probably, you know, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be like an overnight bank failure. I hope not. I mean, you never know, right? We have had bank runs in the past and we don't know. We don't know how bad this really could get. But my thinking is the industry could use uh, watching, gathering open source intelligence, reading GitHub's, uh, just the parts that aren't code, really. And, you know, one thing that I've been trying to do is like figure out the best prompt. Hey, ChatGPT, explain this code to me in human words, right? So then you can go into the GitHub and start to like figure out what the code does and means. Uh, that's a little bit rocky sometimes when I do it, but sometimes it works. And you gather this open source intelligence, right? By studying these open source kind of developers who are creating the infrastructure needed so others can build on top of it. And what I've learned from talking to some of those developers in the Cardano ecosystem is the infrastructure just has a long way to go. You know, there's a lot of other pieces to the blockchain Web3 world that still need to be overlaid. 
uh, one of the vectors that I don't know if it's completely necessary or not yet, but I think there is something to it, is this sort of like private digital identity sector called self-sovereign identity. It's pretty popular in third world countries because there's a lot of people that try to leave, but they never had like, they didn't actually grow up in a place that had really good documentation of their identity. And there's places that don't even have access to banking. So if you have like some sort of identity and you can kind of track your records of what you did, I mean, it's, and you're just given it from like birth, you can kind of prove, you have another piece to prove, right? Now there's many other nuances when we talk about digital identities that we won't talk about today. Two companies to look into if you're interested in that space is Italoprism and IAMX. So go look into those. So I've been a pretty big fan of Web3 Gaming uh, from the standpoint of it's a really cool concept. I was in, you know, a lot of early kind of documentation of what was going on with Web3 Gaming. I participated and I tried to, you know, play some of the games. Games. They weren't games. They were staking mechanics that were called games. Now we have games. So this is interesting because Cardania is a card game on the Cardano blockchain. It's also a uh, sort of like, if you know Greed Island from Hunter x Hunter, it's got like a metaverse angle like that where the cards are actually like manifested and they're building up the 3D of each card. So the IP development is being worked on by the founder too. And we have a clip to show you of the IP development between some of the uh, the factions, right? So it's really deep. You know, it's not one of these card games that's not very deep, but they just uh, increased the limit of leveling cards from five to 10. So you can go in here, you know, you can look at all the first edition cards and you can see that there's, you know, an effect for each one, right? You have a uh, sort of like this attack and defense point for each one. And then there's a cost if you play the card game version, you know? Now the... Uh, metaverse side of it the card game side of it are not live yet the only the only game that they have really is epoch wars where you just go and battle different terraforms and take their resources which are actually like nfts on the blockchain so if i uh attack this guy now i got 34 of the cardania token i got custodial nanites which can be used for crafting energy which can be used for a bunch of different things like leveling up cards iron, light wood, machine, whatever this is, prisma leaf, stone. And the really all, all it is, um, which is kind of cool, is it's just all the different traits on your terraform. They actually produce those resources. So why is it a big deal? Well, because if you get your cards to level 10, you know, like if you get your cards to, you know, level 10 that you equip to your terraforms, right? So each terraform, even though they, the cards are for the card game, you can equip them to your terraform and they add attack and defense. So because I have a citizen, now let me just shrink my screen. I have a citizen, I have a starship, which is minted on the latest dynamic NFT standard. I think it's gonna make some waves too, because you don't have native tokens on other blockchains. So you don't really have a huge potential for like updating your NFTs if you make a major business decision. But what's great about this is obviously the asset you know, has all like kind of like minting the assets is locked. So you can't mint more of them, which is kind of cool. Starships, citizens, which are the avatars, and they each have different traits that you can look up on pool PM and then your cards, right? So each card you go and you manage and they have a attack and defense. So you equip different cards and uh, yada, yada. 
if you level your cards up to level 10, they get an extra attack and defense. So people are leveling their cards up now. They're like, well, I don't want to level up five cards at a time. I want to level up 10 because most people have a deck, which is, I think, like five packs and each pack has seven cards. So if you have like enough cards to complete a deck, then you want to level them up all at once. What's great about it though, is as you level these up, they not only have a benefit from this one game, they, uh, they actually don't have any interference with the card game, which people would probably hate because if people leveled up all their cards, then it would be a pay to play card game since the, uh, you know, the people with high level cards would be able to dominate all the low level peons without high level cards. So I like how they did it for uh, the sort of equipable, because if you do have the cards, now the cards have utility in both the Epoch Wars to get more resources, which allow you to potentially craft items in the future that you can equip to your starship or, or things that you can use in the metaverse angle of their game or things that you can use in the card game, you know, consumables is what they call them. Uh, things of that nature, you can craft consumables with different resources and maybe you use it. Maybe you can use two consumables every single time that you go into a card game. And if you have those resources, you can use it. Uh, you need basically terraforms to obviously obtain resources. So what's great though, is you don't just battle for resources. If you have any lands, then every epoch, you just claim your resources and your rad token. So I think, uh, each terraform gets you like uh well it depends on the what stage you are in the in the epic but as you can see 24,000 rad I'll get this epoch which will allow me to probably level up you know a few cards you know like like uh each card level 1 is like 850 rad but as you level them up the rad does increase uh and you do need resources after you get to a certain level so now I'm spending like copper and other resources that, you know, it sucks because I really like my resources because I don't know what they're used for, but I also like leveling up my cards. So it is interesting. Uh, you do have to stake your ADA, which is left in your wallet. It's non-custodial staking. So if that's a new concept to you, please, you know, pay attention to this part. Non-custodial staking means that you don't have to lock up your ADA. It just means that on your wallet, you choose a SBO that you're delegating your ADA to. And your ADA doesn't actually move. They don't control it. None of that really happens. You just kind of like have it in your wallet, but you get rewarded every epoch. So what Cardania did is they made it so that way every epoch, you have a new round for the Terraform War Epoch Wars game. Every epoch, you can claim your resources. Every epoch, you know, is sort of the game loop of of their, you know, stuff right now. It's like, okay, well, if I just got to check in once an epoch and claim my stuff and level up my cards for what I get, it's a pretty easy task. You know, it doesn't take too long. But if you have a lot of cards and you can only level up five at a time, yeah, it takes a long time. Uh, nonetheless, very interesting stuff. So that's pretty much it for today's show. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, so much for checking out this episode. And if you like it, please share. Please feel free to clip different parts. And, you know, as long as you don't slander me, um, please don't slander me. I would appreciate if you don't, you know, just trying to make a, an honest living and cover these things because I'm interested in them. But um, if you don't slander me, feel free to use this content. Do whatever you want with it because, uh, you know, this is really a channel to look at these things from the perspective of where are we 
you know, not really like, hey, man, Cardania is going to be a million dollars one day. Let's make a thumbnail that says it and let's get sued in three years for saying it. It's more like, hey, guys, this is a new thing here over on Cardano with NFTs, you know. So the last note I'll leave on, right, is we've been talking about Nebula a lot. Okay, Nebula, which you'll probably see uh, in my outro, is this sort of like marketplace foundation that would be uh, very different than what we've seen in other blockchains and ecosystems. Because what it would allow projects to do is in the GitHub repository, there's an open source, uh, like by one of the best developers on Cardano, full marketplace that you can just have a UI developer build on top of. It's got all the latest features that all the best marketplaces on Cardano really have. If every project makes their own single project marketplace, what can then happen though, is people can aggregate listings from Nebula and tack on a service fee. So now everybody will basically be able to list the same listings on the top, but on the bottom, the projects have their own marketplace and essentially they protect the royalties. They can add customizations. For example, Pavia, if you look at Pavia on JPEG story, let's go, let's actually do that real quick. <laughs> so if you go to Pavia, on JPEG store, you can see that all the listings appear side by side. There's a big issue with this, in my opinion. If you go to the map, this is how you want to look at the listings. You want to click on it, and Pavia will be adding support there for this soon. You want to click on it. You want to see which ones are live and which ones aren't, and you want to click purchase, or you know, you want to list it right on here. This is why we need something like a Nebula, because then somebody like a 3D Kiwi could like aggregate the listings from Pavia, just like anybody else could. And there could be like a service fee. What I am not clear on though, is the regulatory implications of something like that. So if any of the projects that are listening have any, you know, thoughts that they want to share, let me know. The other thing too, that's important to say though, is um, I think it was AOS who made a really good point. I think the NBA Top Shot lawsuit was really interesting because there was only really one point of sale that you could kind of go to which was the NBA Top Shop Marketplace. And this is where they got targeted for NFTs. If you only have one marketplace, then do you really like own the asset? You know, Nebula would make it so that way each project has their marketplace, but it's not like the only one. And, you know, Flipper already would aggregate all the Nebula marketplaces since they're aggregating all marketplaces. So with that, Let's fucking go. Crazy when I pull up his sight. How high? Bring that shit back, bitch. I'm stylish. Got to big t-shirt, really ice. Watch on my wrist, but I want that dice. You know, no need to go down. Easy, no, no need to go down. Fuck that run, that this I was wrong. Hey, 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 hey. Could it be spanked? Bitch, I got everything I wanted and some extra. I am not... This year is 23, it's only right that I do it like Jordan, Bull Run, I'm the golden, I'm leaving a legacy, y'all gonna remember me.